Well, we're in the season of Epiphany and in this season of Epiphany in the Gospel of Matthew. And looking at texts about Jesus' ministry and teaching about how God reveals himself in the person of Jesus Christ, that's what Epiphany is. It's about revelation. It's about God coming into view for us. And, and suddenly we realize we're in God's presence. And and this section of scriptures that we're looking at begins with the baptism of Jesus, which is the revelation of God in God's choice to be humble and lay aside that divine prerogative and take on human form. And then the absolute opposite of that, which is the last text we're going to be looking at on the 19th of February, just before Lent, uh, and that's the story of the transfiguration of Jesus, the, the appearing of Jesus in all of his divine glory. And as we look at those passages in between, we're looking at the call of the disciples and Jesus' temptation and Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and a, a few other things as well. But the passage today we're looking at is the call of the disciples where Jesus in Matthew invites those fishermen that he calls to come and follow him that uh, they might learn how to be fishers of people. And so let's look at Matthew 4, verses 12 through 26. Now, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. O land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called to them. And immediately later they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and the curing of every disease, of every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, yeah, that's a hard one, and <laughs> paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Let's pray. Lord, as always, we pray for aware an awareness of your presence with us, an ability to enter into the comfort that comes with that and also the disturbance that comes with that. 
teach us what it means to lay something aside and to take up the journey on which you've called us. We pray in your name. Amen. So I want to talk about road trips today to start out with. And back in the summer of last year, there was a, an issue of the New Yorker magazine. This is your cue, Thad. The New Yorker magazine that had about four essays in it. This is the cover of the, that particular issue of the New Yorker. I kind of loved it. Uh, the image of that road and the, and the horizon and kind of the road disappearing over the horizon. There were four essays about road trips, and, and one of the things that I saw in each of these essays is something that we all know if we've ever taken a road trip. We set up the road trip in order to go to a destination of some kind, something we want to see, something we want to do. But more often than not, in the midst of a road trip, what we learn is that the road trip is about something more than the destination, that the road actually is much more than a conduit between one place and the next place. It's actually a big part of the experience that we kind of didn't plan, but something that happens along the way, some discovery that is made, some awareness that we arrive at. The learnings and the experience on the road are as important often in our memories, if not often more important in our memories, than the actual destination. And that got me thinking when I read all of those essays about road trips in particular, road trips of my own on family vacations, especially when I was a child, and the memories that grew out of those road trips. We always had a destination in mind because I don't know why, but it seemed to me as a child that my family chose places for vacation that were really far from our home, and that the road trips there seemed interminable for the most part. And especially in August, we would always go camping in August, and we would almost always go camping at some campsite along the eastern slopes of the Sierra Nevada mountains along Highway 395. If you're not a Californian, you don't have an image to go with that, but it's a long, basically, two-lane roadway that emerges from the desert and takes you through a dry area on that eastern side of, of the Sierras. And we would always find campsites for our camping vacations along there. And, and my position in the car, because I was the youngest and was always between my two sisters in the back seat, um, never quite getting the advantage of the window and getting the dubious reward of sitting between my sisters, um, being who I was and them being who they were. But I have uh, strong memories of things that I learned sitting there between my sisters in that middle seat. One of the things that uh, happened one year was that on our way home along Highway 395, I was probably doing something to irritate one of my sisters. I can't remember which one but she ripped my cowboy hat off my head. I don't know how old I was, uh, sorry, can't give you those details, and threatened that if I didn't stop whatever it was I was doing, she would throw my hat out the window. And she rolled down the window and began to move her arm out the window, tormenting me, 
And then a sudden gust of wind came up and the hat went out of her hand and we all turned around and watched it tumble on behind us. But the thing I remember about that, the hat is a, a poignant memory. I don't remember what the hat looked like, but I remember my hat rolling away. But the thing I remember even more than that was the look of absolute horror on my sister's face. And even at that age, I caught the remorse in her face. I, I can still see it like, oh, crap. <laughs> I didn't want it to go that far. And that's, that's something of a matter of, of relationship. It's kind of an awareness. It's a coming of age almost at that point where you realize that the only response to that is not, Mom, Susan just threw my hat out the window. But, oh my gosh, my sister's actually sorry for what she did. And so with that, there was just this awareness and that incident remains in my memory, not so much as one of abuse, but of one of discovery. There's another time that's a little bit more humorous, I suppose, than that, and that is we were on our way to a, a campground. The destination was the campground in Kennedy Meadows. It was actually going to be a little closer to home along that edge of the Sierras. And we found the turnoff off of 395 and started heading up this road that soon became an unpaved road that also was a road that was obviously a logging road because it seemed like every few minutes a very big logging truck would pass us on the other side heading down the road with a full load of trees that had been logged and so we continued on our way and we arrived at our destination to actually find a campground that was almost completely treeless. <laughs> there should have been a hint in those logging trucks but uh, to make us turn around earlier, but we got up to the top and decided, well, I guess Kennedy Meadows is not our destination this year. And, and this was the point at which I think I learned something about my mother that uh, I probably knew because of the Goldwater sign in front of our house in 1964. But I knew that my mother made the comment at this point. She said, well, we should have just realized that anything named Kennedy probably wouldn't be very good. <laughs> and in fact, one son, one, I even uh, gave her a book one year for Christmas as a child, Barry Goldwater's Conscience of a Conservative. So uh, that shows you just how... Uh, how much I, I understood about her. But um, those memories and learnings that take place along the road are oftentimes the things that are the greatest takeaways uh, from road trips. It has little or nothing to do with the destination often, but it is a valuable learning with respect to relationship and, and experience along the way. And the passage that I read at the outset from Hebrews reminds me of another Hebrews passage where it, it speaks of Jesus. As we follow him, we follow the pioneer and perfecter of faith. We, we follow literally that word pioneer could also be translated trailblazer. We, we follow the one who is making a trail and, and with whom, as we walk along that trail, we learn something that we would not otherwise learn. And it's a trail that isn't so much about a destination. When Jesus asks his disciples to come along with him, 
but he's asking them to be a part of a, of a road trip and the process of, of making relationships with one another and with others along the way. And, and I think there are three aspects of this invitation that he gives to these two disciples, or actually four disciples, when he says, follow me and, and I will make you fish for people. There's three aspects of that that I just want to kind of highlight in this text today. The first one is not wrapped up in that quote so much as it's wrapped up in the truth that when John the Baptist is arrested, Matthew makes a point of saying how Jesus essentially takes up the same message. If you go back to John's introduction in Matthew's gospel, John's sermon is primarily this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, has come near. That word repent is something we associate with kind of an angry street preacher. And I'm sure John was in his own way, sort of an incarnation of that, that idea. But that word repent is actually much more without emotional intensity. It means simply in both Hebrew and Greek to turn around. Just take note, turn around, expand your peripheral vision, turn your head around, take in what's around you don't just stay focused on where you think you're going because there might be something happening out of your view that's a more powerful and more attractive thing to be a part of so repent and believe that god has come near that the kingdom of god has come near repent turn around pay attention and take note of the fact that god hasn't gone anywhere but is with you right now. The road trip that Jesus invites his gospel on is set up by this invitation, this truth that occasions the invitation to the journey is that God has made himself known, so wake up, pay attention, look for the signs of God's presence, repent, because God is in your midst. And then Jesus says to those disciples, follow me. It's an invitation. It's in some ways a, an imperative, a command. Join me in discovering how it, this is true, that God is in our midst. Let's set out on a journey. Be in relationship with me. Let me show you the way, the road. And following now is going to be your new priority. So they drop their nets. Because Jesus has essentially said, let this relationship with me be the bigger context for the rest of your life. Let this relationship with me be the thing that sets all of your other relationships in perspective and, and context. As he will later say, I, because I am the road, I am the way, I am that hados in Greek, the actual path. It's not that I just show you the path, it's that I, I am the path, so relate to me. It's read in such a way that the path is not just a conduit from one place to another, but an ongoing relationship that we never stop growing in. And then finally, Jesus or Matthew describes a little bit of what goes on along this road as Jesus and his disciples walk together. It's embodied in that 
offer to learn how to fish for people. And essentially what I think Jesus is saying to his disciples at that point is not come on along and we're going to amass new members for our little troop and our organization. We're not going to sign people up. Come on along and be in relationship with those whom we encounter. It's about encounter. To fish for people is not to chalk up converts necessarily in this context. It's to encounter God at work in the people that we encounter. And note who those encounters are with, as Matthew reports it. They are the ones on the margins, the ones by the side of the road, the ones whom we might otherwise fail to note if we're focused only on our perception of what the destination is. But Jesus never simply goes with that focus. And instead he notices who's on the side of the road. He notices the diseased who need cure. He notices the possessed who need deliverance. And he notices the hungry who need sustenance. And I don't get the sense he's looking for them. I just get the sense that he's available to take them in as he walks along the way. Essentially, Jesus takes his disciples along this road and encounters people just like them, who also need to wake up to the truth that the kingdom of God has come near. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, let's travel together. Let's keep our eyes open for those by the side of the road. Let's go on a fishing expedition, but this time thinking about more than fish and your career, let's think about the people whom we might encounter. I don't think you can read this invitation to the journey without thinking about the story that Jesus tells to the lawyer in Luke 10. That lawyer who comes to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Give me the rules. And Jesus says, well, you know the law. You know what it means. You you know the great commandment that you should love the Lord your God with your whole being and that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer, uh, Luke says, seeking to justify himself or really wanting to figure out what the particulars are of that whole neighbor thing. Let's define neighbor. Lawyers love to define things. So let's define who neighbor is. And then I know who I'll need to love in order to be righteous, in order to inherit the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, well, listen to this story. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We all know that story. Jesus says that there was a man who was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was a well-known road for thieves to attack people, pilgrims coming back from Jerusalem, people headed into Jerusalem. It was a, a great place, apparently, to rob people. And there was a man who was on this road, and he was beaten and robbed and left for dead. And there he was by the side of the road with no one to help him. And first of all, Jesus says, a priest passed by, apparently on his way to or from Jerusalem, and did not notice the man or chose not to stop. And then a Levite, one of the, the ruling priestly order, the family of priests, also passed by and 
chose not to engage him. But then came a Samaritan. Uh, the little turn in the story is that Samaritans, as John tells us in his gospel, Jews have no relationships with Samaritans. <laughs> Jews and Samaritans, in other words, hate each other. But here is a Samaritan who becomes the hero of a story told by a Jewish rabbi. And he stops and he takes care of the man and binds up his wound and wounds and puts him on his mule, takes him into a, a populated place and gets him care in an inn and says, I'll be back to check on him. And then Jesus asks the poignant question. Notice that the, the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Give me a definition of neighbor so I'll know who I need to love. But Jesus asks a different question to the lawyer. He says, who proved neighbor to the man who was fallen by the side of the road? Who became a neighbor is the way Jesus changes the question. And the lawyer says, because he's smart, well, I suppose the Samaritan <laughs> proved to be neighbor. And, you know, he, he wins the prize. He answered the, the question right. The Samaritan engaged. The Samaritan had the peripheral vision. The Samaritan made a choice to allow the road to be more than simply a destination. The priest and the Levite, they had matters of church to deal with. I heard Ken Bailey talk about this once, and he said that there's a good chance that if they were coming from Jerusalem, they had just gone through ritual purification and to touch a dead man would make them unclean, to touch a man who was not a Jew would make them unclean, so better to stay clean than to get engaged. A religious reason to not be involved on their way to someplace else and not wanting to be hampered by this thing that has happened by the roadside that would make them unclean. But the Samaritan chooses to be involved at a deeper level and chooses to see the opportunity of relationship and act on that. What happens on the way or on the road is just as important, if not more important often than arriving. What a disciple learns along the way is that every moment has everything to do with the living God. For God has come near. And as James Loder used to say, Relationality is reality. It's the only thing that lasts, and it's a motivating factor in our lives that we cannot deny. Relationality is reality. Jesus changes the question for the lawyer, and with that change of question comes the truth that relationality is reality. How am I being neighbor? is just as important as who is around me and is my neighbor. And being a neighbor means noticing what's on the side of the road and noticing that one in whom God is at work as well, but we wouldn't know it if we didn't delay the journey long enough to engage.
Let's pray. Lord, increase our vision. Make our field of view wider. Help us to slow down and notice. And then to respond to the good news that you're at work wherever we are and that every moment has everything to do with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.